which is hey, good morning, Joe, which is the uh, the Colbin text, embracing mind, and uh, we've been working on I think it's chapter yeah chapter twelve, different practices, and the uh, the section of that chapter that I wanted to look at this morning is forgetting the self. So we're, uh, we're going to be connecting, uh, of course, every time, every time we're studying the Dharma, we're connecting to all the, uh, the Buddhas and ancestors, but the two that we're really connecting to this morning, of course, Coben, but uh, forgetting the self means Dogen is uh, very much in the mix here, uh, because it was Dogen in Genjo Koan who, who introduced this teaching phrase about forgetting the self. So I wanted to, to start this morning just by uh, uh, reading that particular section of Genjo Koan, which, uh, which I think everybody on this call uh, is pretty familiar with, with this teaching because it's... Uh, it's one of the most important teachings in Soto Zen. In fact, when I uh, received Jukai, uh, the scriptural uh, text that was inscribed on the back of my Rakasu was this. So I, I wore this for a for, uh, number of years. To study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be actualized by myriad things. When actualized by myriad things, your body and mind, as well as the bodies and minds of others, drop away. Another way that you'll often see this translated is that uh, the the final sentence speaks about uh, about the the myriad things actualizing themselves uh, rather than the self being actualized by myriad things. Uh, I think you, both translations kind of uh, are complementary to each other and help to fill out what's actually being conveyed there. Uh, so I, I thought I'd start this morning after uh, bringing uh, Dogen into this picture by, by looking at a couple of aspects of this. First off, this, this uh, sense that I'm uh, regularly talking about in terms of practice as opening. So we c in that regard, I think we can see this practice of forgetting the self as the radical opening of self, which takes place in a practice such as Zazen, or uh, really in any of the other practices we do. Literally, we could see all of our mudras as being uh, this radical opening of self, from gasho to the universal mudra that we, we uh, take, take on when we're uh, actually engaged in zazen practice, to the practice of, of deeply bowing. Uh, these are all forms of forgetting the self, of this radical opening of self. Because what, from this radical opening of self, what hopefully we begin to see and understand is how our normal con conception of self really is built upon a sense of closing. Without that sense of closing, there really isn't a, set, uh, a self. 
So that's one thing to be aware of, to practice with. Closing versus opening. So this is what makes Gasho kind of interesting because there's this sense of coming together uh, but it's a coming together that's that's in conjunction with all other beings. So there's a coming together and a, and a vast opening. That's this radical opening I was referring to, which we just that simple act, that universal act, not limited to Buddhism. There's something deeply profound going on there. So I, th I think this sense of forgetting of self, of this radical opening of self, if we are aware of this throughout our practice, we might come to appreciate how much the various mudras and rituals of our practice are really coming from that. They are manifestations of it. It's, it's the way we embody it. And then with, uh, with Dogen's teaching, it begins with the self. You know, so to study Zen is to study the self. So we begin there. But of course, the study that Dogen is speaking about is not our usual sense of study. It's not that intellectual uh, uh, framing things as being separate. To study the self in, in the fashion of Dogen is to become very deeply intimate with self. And this is where samadhi enters into the picture. Samadhi, that Theravadan and, and even pre-Buddhist practice of absorption, of no separation, that's the study of the self. So Dogen, in, uh, in one of his earliest pieces, Bendawa, uh, has that section in there that speaks of Jijuyu Zamai. Self-actualizing, self-manifesting, self-realizing samadhi. When we practice and study the self by just being fully present with it and letting self arise in this moment, moment after moment after moment, to the extent we can engage in, in this practice of non-thinking that Dogen lays out for us in, in Fukan Zazengi, through non-thinking, we create the opening for, for ourselves to become absorbed. It's a self-absorption that's not like our usual way of, of, you know, if we said of someone, or of ourselves uh, that we thought they were self-absorbed, that would be a very pejorative thing. But this Jujuyu Zamai that Dogen spoke of is becoming absorbed in the self so that one, it's, it's, it's the same thing as forgetting the self. So it's the exact contrary of what we would normally be referring to by the term self-absorption. Self-absorption is, in that sense, is very much predicated on a separate self. And I'm absorbed in that to the neglect of other things. Everything becomes self-serving in that small sense of self. And we're familiar with that because we're all subject to that from time to time. 
and maybe sometimes it's more frequently than uh, than others. So that's and that's an experience we know quite well. Maybe it's less well that we're <clears throat> we're aware of this other form of of self-absorption of Dogen's Jujuyu Zambai. where and that's this the self-absorption that allows myriad things to come forth and realize themselves within our self so this radical opening of self is an opening that allows everything else in rather than the self-absorption that has everything outside and that we're trying to collect the good stuff push away the bad stuff with good and bad being based on our own selfish evaluations self-centered self-absorbed in that s small sense of self so Keep in mind that, uh, that self-absorption can actually be liberating. So Dogen, when he spoke, which he did a great deal about the subject of Buddha nature, which is another way of phrasing what we're, the path we're, we're engaged upon, with this, with this practice, he talks about this intimate observation is Buddha nature as it is. Just his way of using words to try to describe for us uh, what it is that we're, we're experiencing. And it's how it's, it's depicting for us the nature of our life, our existence, the existence of all things. It requires this kind of intimate observation, not the, the studying in the sense that we normally use that term. Not that that studying is wrong, but that study can only be effective to the extent that it's rooted in this deeper form of intimate study, this intimate observation, which is Buddha nature, this intimate study of the self. And this requires becoming free of body and mind. So that's why Dogen speaks of the dropping off of body and mind. To understand that these are fabrications that are intimately connected to the fabrications of all other beings as these separate entities outside of ourselves. Then the last teaching of, of Dogen's on this that I wanted to touch upon to help to really open this up for us before we get into Coben's teachings uh, and I'm glad both Mark and Keith are, are with us this morning because this touches upon the uh, Shobogenzo fascicle that you guys studied at Jokoji last June with uh, Kokio Henkel uh, on uh, the fascicle about the, uh, the Diamond Sutra and the uh, ungraspable mind and uh, the lady selling the rice cakes. 
<laughs> Mark, the, no, go ahead. <laughs> what? Okay. Uh, what I want to talk about from that, and, and that's based on the Diamond Sutra, which the, the whole Sangha studied uh, uh, up until uh, just the past uh, uh, couple of months when we changed over to looking at David Loy's uh, Eco Dharma on Thursday nights. But before that, we spent probably somewhere between one and two years looking at the Diamond Sutra. And this particular fascicle of uh, Dogen's <coughs> is taken from the Diamond Sutra. And the section of the Diamond Sutra that he's working from is the section that, <coughs> that conveys the teaching that, uh, that this self is ungraspable mind. Uh, Thinking and discerning at this very moment is ungraspable. The ungraspable mind is all Buddhas. In studying the mind in the Buddha way, all things are mine. Understand. The entire mind as mastery of wisdom. And at the heart of that then is this sense that this mind being spoken of is ungraspable. And that's what makes this such a powerful teaching. Because whatever gets presented to us, whether it's emptiness, shunyata, or, or Buddha nature, or mind, we immediately, it's almost like an instinctive reflex. We want to create something out of it that we can hold on to. It's like it's being, pre we take it uh, that it's being presented to us as a foundation. So all these teachings about shunyata, about mind, about Buddha nature, are always embedded within them is the teaching that they're ungraspable. So forgetting the self is to take this entity which provides the foundation for our lives. And it's saying it's ungraspable. You need to study that intimately, the fact that it is ungraspable. And let it go. So earlier in the text, in Coben's text, <clears throat> the section that we did look at during the Sashin last month, where he talks about faith, trust. When we forget the self, it's calling forth this kind of faith and trust. Because it's our sense of self where we place so much of that faith and trust. So following Dogen's prescription for us in Genjo Koan and in other writings of his, he's talking about putting that faith and trust not in a limited small sense of self, but in that greater expansive, radically expansive sense of self that includes walls, pebbles, and all animate, inanimate objects, everything as supporting us moment after moment on our path, in our way, down. 
So this importance of ungraspable mind in terms of the forgetting of self. And just mind just like self becomes a place where we, we enter into the way. So to say no mind, no self, no Buddha nature, at the same time is also part of that teaching is there is self, there is mind, there is Buddha nature. We have to be able to entertain those both together at one and the same time. And that's what the middle way path of Mahayana Buddhism is all about. Otherwise, you know, we fall into the path of nihilism. Well, nothing exists, nothing has meaning. And if that was where we were coming from, we certainly wouldn't be uh, wasting our time on Thursday nights studying David Loy's Dharma. The fact that things are not graspable, not fixed, is why we can have an impact. So there's definitely justification for our faith and our trust. But it's also why it is faith and trust. It's not a certainty. As we've said in connection with our studies on Thursday nights, we're not controlling outcomes. It's not so simple in terms of working with the environmental crisis is to say, well, this is, this is the plan that will work. And if we just do this, everything's going to be good. That's true for, for uh, a situation on that vast of a scale, and it's true for every other aspect of our own lives on much smaller scales. But we care for things. It's very important as part of our practice to do that. The opening of Dong Shan's Song of the Precious Mirror Samadhi now you have it. The teaching of thusness has been intimately communicated by Buddhas and ancestors. Now you have it. Preserve it well. Take care of it. And we take care of it in each and everything we do. Everything. That follows from from self-absorption on this vast scale rather than the selfish, self-centered scale. We find because we've, we've dissolved the boundaries that separated us, we will naturally care for everything. Because as we realize ourselves, we're, we're allowing all other beings at the same time. It's the Buddha's original great enlightenment under the Bodhi tree. That he and all beings at the same time were awakened. So taking care. comes from a very deep place within us. And the more we can open ourselves to our Buddha nature, the more we can manifest that. Because it's in each and every one of us. So now I... I'd like to turn my attention to, uh, to Coben's uh, teachings on this subject from this uh, uh, part of his text. Beginning with his statement that, uh, that this inner view, the study of the self that Dogen spoke of, 
the interview includes everything which your mind is continuously working on. So there's nothing excluded. And that's important. We're accepting everything that comes up. Everything. And just this, this section immediately follows the one on Sheik and Taza. So he circles back to this, the importance of posture and says that posture allows us to keep going. So what we term our physical nature, how we position our, our body, is a key component in this. And as he then goes on to say, this physical existence is very dynamic, which is another way of saying it's ungraspable. But yet we can call it our physical existence, and we can call it posture, even though they're ungraspable. And this ungraspable aspect of it, Dogen in another Shobogenzo fascicle speaks about in terms of what he calls uh, the awesome presence of active Buddhas. Awesome. The sense of awe is indescribable. You can't put it in words. It's ungraspable. That's our practice. This, this awesome presence of active Buddhas. Our active Buddha nature. And it's an awesome presence. Ungraspable. Always keep that realization close at hand. Because doing so helps to sustain the radical opening I'm speaking about. So that we're not as prone to closing in. Creating sense of self and other and becoming fixated and driven by those conceptions. So this physical existence being very dynamic is a living thing which you cannot stop because it goes by itself. This is an important understanding on the path to forgetting the self. That this physical nature of ourselves. If we sit zazen, we could become completely absorbed in a deep samadhi state. And your body is motoring right along. So in that kind of a practice, we're dropping all kinds of preconceptions of what we are, what we have been, what we wish to be or will be. Our whole expanse of the limited view of sense, of self. which creates so much of our reality, preconceptions of what we are, what we've been, what we wish to be or will be. So the practice of zazen can be seen as giving those notions a rest. 
setting them down. Again, back to the sense of faith and trust. Because we can have the notion that what we need those is our guideposts to living our life. Otherwise, we're, we're aimless. Or Bob Dylan's words, with no direction home. We need a direction. And that's how we create one. So Coben then says, we don't stick on the habitual way of knowing ourselves, but rather we let ourselves be free to see ourselves among all things. At this time, right now, forgetting the self. So that's why Dogen in Fukan Zazengi, his universal recommendation for the practice of Zazen, gives us those instructions about setting aside all of our concerns any affairs of, of our lives that, uh, that, that uh, maybe are, are uh, uppermost in our minds at that time, set those aside. Set aside all myriad concerns when we plunge into sitting. So Coben has a very important thing to say here that no self is not a doctrine. It simply describes how things are. So by virtue of that, it's something that we need to realize, see intimately, directly, by opening ourselves radically to just this. and see how that description of how things are conveyed by no self, how does that track with our practice and how, when we're on that path, how we experience things, how we react to things. And then he talks about this middle uh, way that I spoke of. He says, sometimes the answer to whether there is Buddha nature is in oneself is yes. Sometimes it's no. And that's the way it's presented by Dogen in his fascicle on, uh, on Buddha nature, Busho. The koan mu, does a dog have Buddha nature? Mu means no. But there's also a version of that koan where the answer was yes. Middle way. Don't, we can't grasp any of those teachings. The point of them all is to help us enter this realm of the ungraspable. Reality as it is ungraspable. And relative to our Zazen practice, he makes a statement that I think can be very helpful to us. He says, nothing carried you to this posture, this Zazen posture, when we go to sit. Nothing carried you to this posture, which is a chance to be alone in a pure sense. And it is ultimately simple. Alone 
but again, at the same time, alone with all things. It's a chance to be. So even in your own private home practice, it's just you. Or even us during uh, the, the time of pandemic when even though we might have uh, five or six screens up on our computer, we're sitting alone. Because cyberspace doesn't count. <laughs> That's really an illusion. <laughs> Nothing carried you to this posture because we have a sense quite often about, well, you know, this is why, why I'm sitting. This is what I'm, my mission is. That don't grasp onto that. That's just a fabrication. To be able to sit with this understanding that nothing carried you to that. There are koans about why do you practice? As I recall Chuck in his talk uh, a week ago on that, during the Saturday Zazenkai, uh, just kind of threw out there that question for people to carry with them about why do they practice? Or as a koan that I, I work with quite a few years ago, why do you put on your seven layer robe at the sound of the bell? It's a formal koan. I think that one's from the Mumankan. Why do you do this? So the sense that nothing carries you to this, this posture or anything else. But yet, don't grasp that. Because there is the sense of vow, of setting an intention. But that can't be grasped either. That's an important element in the act of making vows. And the fact they, they're not to be grasped doesn't turn them into some sort of wishy-washy thing. It actually makes them real. They are the best guidelines for our lives is to have these ungraspable vows that we make. Otherwise, it wouldn't work very well for us. But vows? Yeah. I mean, I consider them very important in my own life. Just don't grasp them. So maybe a good place to close this with is, uh, is uh, the mountains and, uh, and water sutra of Dogen. Since we've been talking about how this radical uh, opening of self, the forgetting of self, allows all the myriad things to come forth. And that kind of sets the tone for our relationship with those myriad things. It, it creates the opportunity for us to become intimate with those myriad things. So Coben sh shares with us uh, Dogen's teaching that the mountain belongs to who loves it most. Of course, in Zen, we can all love it most. So it's not like you know, there's a prize winner who gets the mountain <laughs> because they love it the most. But that's, that's this connection we have with all beings. And, and in a sense, we're all winners that way to the extent we can radically open ourselves and forget ourselves. We end up then as our possessions with, with all of reality. Because it does belong to those who love them the most, who are the closest to them. Who will care for them. 
because of that intimate connectedness. And in a similar vein, I guess my final note on this is where, uh, and it's the last thing I jotted down for, for this morning from Coben's text. He says, because of language, our sense organs, our, our ability to take in the experience of, of reality. Uh, we taste, see, and all the other senses, not necessarily things as they are, but as they are supposed to be seen and tasted. And I would take it even a, a little further than supposed to. It's it's our preconceived notion, I guess, that's kind of baked into our, our uh, linguistic way of labeling things. And when I read that, you know, it called to mind for me, uh, you know, something kind of humorous that's been pointed out uh, in, the, in the world of wine snobbery that, uh, you know, these tastings where, where they have these glowing reviews of wines, but they always know, you know, the wine. Reviewers are not interested in doing blind tastings. They want to know <laughs> what the wine is so they can bring to their evaluation that knowledge. <laughs> There's actually a guy who runs uh, a little operation who's who's on a mission to to convince people that they don't need to spend a hundred bucks to get a good bottle of wine that actually in a blind tasting you know that would <laughs> that would probably uh, play second fiddle to a, a good fifteen dollar bottle of wine <laughs> and that's a perfect example I think of how our linguistic labeling of things just completely prejudices our our, our experience of it. Just keep in mind how we go through life evaluating the experiences of our life that way. So that we may live in a world of $15 or even less uh, bottles of wine uh, and actually uh, it's, it's a very beautiful thing. And obviously, that's uh, not limited just to alcoholic beverages. We're, we're <laughs> I hesitated to use that as an example, but it's just such a perfect one. I, I needed to go there. <laughs> but it's applicable to, uh, to anything, anything. Yeah, in fact, I got the biggest kick in that regard uh, some months back when restaurants were open and doing business. In the Plain Dealer, uh, uh, one of their columnists did a serious review of the Golden Corral restaurants. And, and yeah, it was kind of, kind of tongue-in-cheeky, but it was serious. It's like, hey, you can actually get a good meal here, even though you restaurant people uh, uh, kind of get snobbish. You'd hear Golden Corral and go, oh my gosh, you know, myself, not, well, I'm not a strict vegetarian. I, I, I try to maintain uh, pretty much a vegetarian regimen uh, at restaurants. And I love Golden Corral because they have a nice spread of different vegetables and I can have a great meal there and, uh, and, uh, and be, be a vegetarian for that particular meal. So to have that awareness of how our labels, our preconceived notions, how they're all tied together, so to enter into your life, your experiences with beginner's mind, don't know mind, forget about whatever your notion is. Just experience this now as it is. That's suchness, thusness, that everything is coming together to create this moment, this experience. It's the back to the awesome presence of active Buddhas. The awesome presence. 
that we all bring to our experience moment after moment after moment. Relish it, appreciate it. With that, I'm going to shut up and turn it over to you all. So Keith's looking kind of frozen there. <laughs> oh, there he is. I think everybody's unmuted. Yeah, um, if it's all right, I'd like to jump in. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Okay, great. Um, so uh, first off, thank you for your talk, Dean. Um, really appreciated what you had to say and also the materials that you're, that you're using. Um, and I also want to just say that it's great to see all of you, even if it's just on the small screen. And uh, to again say how much I miss uh, seeing everyone in person. And, um, and these are certainly difficult times, but um, I, I believe we're trying to, uh, you know, make the best of them. Yeah. Um, and uh, um, also, um, you know, I was just aware as you were talking about how sometimes, um, you know, there's this sort of fearful self, uh, fearful sense of, of dropping off of the self. And, you know, we sometimes talk of it as like a small death and these kinds of things. But you really were touching on uh, talking about awe and talking about what I was thinking of is the liberation of dropping off this self. Um, and what a truly wonderful experience it is to, to experience that, and then to experience that off the cushion as well, of just being um, our true, you know, authentic selves. Um, and then I was also thinking about this sort of continuum that we're on, that um, you know we're not stuck in our small selves or our uh, large mind. Uh, we're we're always on some continuum of that, and you know of course sometimes we get absorbed in our in our selfish um, you know pursuits or you know we become concerned with you know what we consider to be our survival like I'm hungry and or I have to eat or I have to possess this thing or whatever but always in the background is operating you know our, our larger self and we're always kind of moving on that continuum mm -hmm. um, uh, and of course it's delightful when we're able to be more aware of that larger um, self um, but um, yeah, those were just some of the thoughts that I was having as you were talking, and I, I wanted to uh, express my appreciation for your talk. Thank you, Dean. Well, actually, uh, Dean, could I ask yeah. for a clarification? Mm -hmm. So I always think of this. Um, thank you for the talk. That was great. Um, there's, I, I love this notion of treating the Dogen teaching as a koan. You know, the to study the self is to forget the self. Um, but I've always, I've always thought of it as. Um, to be realized by the myriad things, mm -hmm. be realized. So today you were talking about the myriad things being re realized like by us. I mean, both, there's both ways. Right. Is that right? Yes, yes. Uh -huh. Which is the only way that that barrier between us completely comes down. Otherwise, there's still a bit of a barrier. So that's why I like the fact that there are those two different ways of translating it, that myriad things come forth and realize themselves, you know, together with us. It's kind of hearkening back to the Buddha's awakening. <clears throat> that, you know, he and all beings, 
so when we practice that way, then everything. It's not that sense of, <clears throat> of, of there's still that separation. Yeah, that's helpful. Thank you. I, I heard it, but I wasn't quite sure I took it in. So that's, that's really helpful. I like that interpretation a lot. Very much the middle way, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And that's why one teaching never is enough, which Dogen thrived on that. He would go in and, and take these standard accepted uh, teachings like uh, painted rice cakes don't satisfy hunger. And he'd say, well, of course they do. <laughs> he loved turning things upside down <clears throat> to show the other side. Yeah, I remember a story about Suzuki Roshi that um, he came out of a retreat and uh, they were all really hungry. And so they pulled through a McDonald's and he might maybe ordered something like French fries, you know, something that was vegetarian. And um, one of the retreatants that was traveling with him ordered a hamburger and took a bite of it and said, this is terrible. And Suzuki Roshi said, I'll have it. So he took yeah, the I remember hearing You that. know that story? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. Like, like <laughs> don't think yourself yourselves too seriously. You know what I mean? It's not that, you, you can't really be that black and white about anything. It's really middle way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that's helpful. Thank you. Appreciate okay. it. Yeah, Lee? Yeah, I've, I've been thinking while you're talking about, um, well, trying not to think, but also <laughs> there's thoughts going through there. But, you know, my my current absorption is parenting, which I'm sure there's other people in my shoes, but it feels like this 24-7, it never stops. Like, it just feels like, um, you know, like right now, I'm only, I can only be in this room or the bathroom, you know, it's like, so it's very uh, absorbing. Um, so how to apply um, a sense of letting go or, um, you know, I think that it's, it's okay to, I think what you're kind of getting at too is that, you know, the myriad things is also kind of messy. It's, it's up and down. It's, it's, uh, um, I think it's supposed to be that way. I mean, it can't just be a static experience because all of these things are, are, are creating the next moment. So being in the moment, I, I like the image of surfing because it's, you know, this wave is coming and then there's another one. And sometimes it's stormy and sometimes it's calm. So I think, um, I think for me right now, the myriad things is a, more dramatic than it's been in the past. Yeah. <laughs> so learning how to surf that, learning how to be with it and without really attaching to it, it's it's really interesting. It's a new challenge, I would say. So. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because uh, when I uh, did my annual presentation at Hudson High School uh, uh, back earlier in the year, uh, the, the teacher of that class has young children at home and the subject came up about, you know, because as a teacher, high school level, he's got all kinds of stuff he's doing at home that's, that's related to his teaching responsibilities. I, I know Joe there can, can relate to this, taking taking work home and yet he he feels also he's got his own children that that need to be cared for and he's torn by how do you uh you know be fully present with with what you're doing because it seems like you have this immense uh realm of responsibility and so when I go in and talk, he's deeply interested in Zen, but I can understand his reluctance to take on more responsibility, yeah. responsibility for Zen practice. <laughs> so uh, I fully expect one of these days, one of these years, we'll probably see him uh, uh, arrive to sit with us, but it's probably some ways off. 
uh, because, and I can remember Suzuki Roshi uh, reading something about uh, back in the early days at City Center, people that were like maybe college students and had children at home, and he really would take the view that, well, they shouldn't be at City Center. They should be taking care of, of what their life was at that particular point in time. You know, that, that sometimes the practice can become like an escape. Uh. So there's, there's that piece to it. See, we, we want to think that, well, practice is always pure and, 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 and a good thing, but that's for each person to, uh, to actually be honest with themselves about. So what you're describing, uh, I mean, that's, there are, the practice is about being able to be fully present with, with what's there uh, in front of you. And it doesn't work very well when you're using the practice to run away from other things. Right. It should be, uh, and I, I always want to bite my tongue when I say the word should, but, <laughs> but, uh, but, it, uh, the practice when it's really alive, I think, is, is simply enriching and making more meaningful our experiences, more broadly speaking. Uh, so to the extent that, yeah, for instance, if people that, that are working have children uh, or the, the, the regular full array of, of uh, life activities, you know, whatever you can devote to practice, you know, maybe it's sitting for 15 minutes a day and, and reading for 10 minutes a day, just some insp inspirational thing for you, and then carry that forward into your life. Uh, and then, you know, you're kind of like the, the Hindus, you have these stages in life, uh, not to grasp onto that. I mean, for some people, they can enter the sage uh, path uh, as young people, you know, but, but there, there's no better or worse. It's, it's being fully there for whatever your path is at that time. And, and it, as long as you're doing that, uh, you know, if, if, if causes and conditions lead you to becoming uh, the abbot of a Zen center someday, well, that's, that's beautiful. Or uh, who knows where, where you end up or any of us do. Uh, I mean, heck, I, just, I don't know where I'll end up. <laughs> who knows? <laughs> yeah, but just taking care of, of, of what you're doing right here and now. That's the heart of it. That's the heart of it. And for those that, uh, that are able to, to sneak away to practice uh, from time to time, you know, that's one of our functions here. And it's not just mine, it's this whole Sangha's, you know, we're, we're here. And, and uh, for those that can drop in uh, every once in a while, you know, we're here to support other people in their practice too. But fully understand, uh, you know, people get pulled pulled away for myriad reasons. And yeah, we'll, yeah, can I can I quote the Fukanza Zenji? Please, if you if you concentrate your efforts single mindedly, that in itself is negotiating the way. Practice realization is naturally undefiled. Going forward is a matter of everydayness. Which is again which very is, nice. Thank you. Not that dis meditating us, but yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 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 making uh, making our practice real, rather than some idealized version. That's that's really making it your life, as it is, as it is. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Getting worried when uh, when I thought we were going to adjourn earlier because it's always such a rich discussion. <laughs> so thank you all for. <laughs>
for kicking it in. <laughs> well, may our intention equally penetrate every being and place with the true merit of Buddha's way. Beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. The Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it. All right. Well, I hope everybody enjoys the rest of their day. And thanks for sharing your Sunday morning with us. Dean, I just wanted to mention this uh, to the group that Reb's live stream is today. Oh, right. Thank you. I had forgotten. Mm. Yeah, but so it's on my calendar. One o'clock, Reb Anderson uh, is giving, one o'clock our time, 10 o'clock out in California, he's, give, he's giving the morning talk at Green Gulch. I had sent, I guess, I think it was the link to be able to access that in the email I sent out on Monday. So thank you. Jeez. Yeah. I meant to mention that. Also, I want to say I watched that movie, um, Planet of the Humans, and you're right, Dean, it should be a requisite for it to be a citizen of the planet. <laughs> <laughs> That's... That's powerful stuff, yeah. <laughs> That's iconoclastic <laughs> in terms of knocking down some people that even I had idolized. You get to see the real, and, and it's showing the power of you know, these, these uh, parties that are very, have a very vested interest in in pro maintaining profitability, so on and so forth, to co-opt people that we have been led to believe are really, you know, acting in our best interest. So that's a real eye-opener in that regard. It sure was for me. Hmm.